whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. That's a phrase from the Bible, from Colossians chapter 3. Those of you who were on the Men's Vermont weekend last weekend know that that was our theme verse that we looked at for the whole weekend. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. We were studying that verse last weekend in Vermont, and about halfway through the weekend, Rocco Abate, known to most of you, you know Rocco, he's an usher, he's a youth group volunteer, he's he's everywhere, he's all over the congregation. He came up to me halfway through the retreat and he said, you stole my verse. That's my Rocco impersonation. (laughs) Pretty good, huh? He said, said, you stole my verse. And I said, what do you mean? And he sent me a couple of pictures with his phone. I want you to see the first one. This is Rocco. He's a, a pipe fitter in New York City. That's him in his work gear next to his toolbox. And in order to understand what he meant when he said that I stole his verse, let's zoom in a little bit to his toolbox. You see the beautiful uh, children, the picture of them. But let's zoom in a bit further. I don't know if you can read this, but it says Colossians 3, 23 and 24, which says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Rocco understands that when he grabs a tool out of that toolbox and begins working on those construction sites, he's working for the Lord. He's serving Christ. I wanted you to see that image and I wanted you to hear that verse because today we start our new sermon series. We're calling it a theology of work. And in today's sermon, we're looking at this first chapter of the Bible to try to understand God's design for work. We're recommending that you follow along this book by Tim Keller called Every Good Endeavor. Roughly correlates with the sermon series. I designed it to follow the chapters of this book. So if you want to pick this up in the bookstore today or find it online, chapters 1 through 4 correlate with today's sermon. It's a book by Tim Keller called Every Good Endeavor. And today we look at God's design for work. What was God's plan When he established the heavens and the earth, when he created human beings, how did he design that we would work in that kingdom? The first thing I notice in our text today is this interesting fact that God works and God rests. God works and God rests. Let's read chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 again. If you've already put your Bible away, I would invite you to bring it back out. We're going to look at these verses a little bit more closely today. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, we see that God's design for work begins with Him working and Him resting. Here's what it says, chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. You Bible scholars know that when the Bible repeats something three times like that, or trying to put an exclamation point on it, 
we see here in this description of God creating the heavens and the earth that God worked and God rested. Let's just think about that for a moment. It's easier to imagine the fact that God works, that God worked in creation. We say that God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He works. He creates things. But God also rested. Did God need to rest? When we consider the enormity, the enormous power of God, it's hard to think that he would have to rest, that he would ever get tired. I overheard a conversation that my children were having a couple of weeks ago. They had seen something on a TV show where the scientist had said that the universe is not infinite in its size, like scientists used to believe. They now think that it has a scope to it, it has an edge. And we were getting ready for school one morning. The children were putting on their coats and getting their backpack and hopping into the car, and they were talking about that, how the universe has an edge to it. And uh, my son, Riley, he's now nine, he said, I wonder what's on the other side of that edge of the universe. And my six-year-old daughter, Eva, shrugged her shoulders, and she said, God. I thought that was really special. I just looked at her and almost started crying. She's in the sanctuary. Don't look over there. <laughs> I th Evangeline, that was really perceptive of you, to think that God is so big that he's bigger than the whole universe. I was really impressed by that. She gets it. But when we think about that fact, just the absolute enormity of the power of God, we might wonder, why did he have to rest? Why did God rest? Why did he work for six days in creation and then rest on the seventh? Well, a couple of things come to mind of why he would do that. One, I discovered on Thursday morning in one of the men's Bible studies we have here at church, Michael Reap came. He knew that we were going to be reading this text, and he brought his French Bible and he wanted to show us that this word for rest in the French is, is the word repose, right, Michael? And it's more having to do with God sitting back after six days of work and just simply reflecting on and enjoying the fruit of his labor. It's not that he needed to rest. God doesn't get tired, but he was simply taking it all in and saying, this is good. I think there's an aspect of truth in that. And I would also say that what God was doing when he worked for six days in creation and then rested on the seventh as he was modeling for us his design for how we would work. He was showing us how to do it, to work for six days, to finish all of our work on the last day and then to rest on the Sabbath. This is God's design. He's showing us uh, his pattern and how he designed us to work. It's almost like God was acting as an architect of time. We think of architects as designing structures and buildings and cities, and God was doing that, certainly. He was architecting the physical world, but he was also designing, like an architect, the seven days of the week. And like a good architect, he was picturing how people would enter into that design that he created and thrive within it. I was thinking about that this week, and I was thinking about the architect who designed this building. This room that we're in was designed intentionally by an architect so that we would have the best opportunity to worship God. A couple of his design notes, in case you weren't here during the time when this man named Ira designed all of this, he designed the balcony to have this swooping embrace. 
because he wanted us to remember God's embrace of us. So those of you in the balcony, we can feel the embrace of God by the architecture of this room. He also designed it to have a couple of focal points so that no matter where you're sitting in any of the pews, everybody can see this symbol that hangs above me, that we would remember the work of Jesus on the cross. And no matter where you're sitting in this room, because of the way the architect designed it, you can see this word that I'm so privileged to stand before you and preach on today, and also the altar table where we remember his sacrifice for us. The architect designed all these things in this room so that we could most easily worship God in the same way when God showed us that he worked for six days and then rested on the seventh, he was like an architect of time for us so that we could enter into the work week, we could enter into time that he created and we could thrive within it like an architect allows us to most freely worship in this room. Now, there's a difference between the one who designed this room and God, the difference between those two kinds of architects, because Ira, once he had finished designing this space, he moved on to his next projects, and we've barely seen him since then. He's got other projects on his mind, but God is the architect of all that we live and thrive in, and he hasn't left us and gone off to some other project. He indwells the very structure that he has created, and he is present with us in that seven day week. And not only that, not only has God shown us this design that he works and that he rests, but God amazingly also involves us in his work. God involves us in his work. Let's read again chapter 1 verses 26 through 28. It says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful. And multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, this is a famous passage. There's a stack of books at least this high trying to figure out what this all means that we're created in God's image. We heard a beautiful take on it from Pastor Jackie as she taught the children that were made to reflect God's love and his care in the world. But for our context today of understanding God's design for work and how he involves us in his work, we're just going to focus on this one phrase in the verses that we just read. Have dominion. Have dominion, God says. God works and God rests and God involves us in his work by giving us this command to have dominion over the creation. What does that mean? What does it mean to have dominion? God is speaking about his authority. God is speaking about his lordship. The word dominus in Latin is lord, and to have dominion is to have lordship. It's to have authority. It's to have the kind of authority in which we care for that which we have authority over. 
we are operating in the best interest of that over which we have authority. That's what it means to have dominion. Let me put it this way. What's the difference between having dominion and having domination? They're two related words. God says have dominion. God could have said dominate the created order. But he says have dominion. In other words, operate not in a way that's only your self-interest, to say to all of those you're an authority over, your needs aren't important to me, only my needs are. That's domination. But have dominion means to care for that over which we have authority in the way that God has lordship in the best way over us. We can submit to his authority because we know that he has our best interest in mind. That's the kind of involvement in his work that he calls us into, no matter what we have authority over. God says, have dominion in that space. Another way the Bible talks about it is cultivation. Cultivate the earth, it says in the Psalms. Be fruitful. Multiply. We can't be fruitful with that over which we have authority if we're only operating in our own self-interest. To have dominion is to cultivate, to bear fruit, to watch people and circumstances thrive because of our dominion over them. Now, all of us have something that we have dominion over, whether it's your household, your children, a small business, a large business, relationships, property. God says, I want you to have dominion. I want to involve you in my work by having you have dominion over them. To me, one of the clearest examples of having dominion in this way and God's design for work is uh, by getting to know the small business owners that I've gotten to know in Greenwich over the last several years. And one thing that we're going to do during these four sermons while we look at the theology of work is bring up for you to the pulpit live illustrations, people who can illustrate the points that God is making in Scripture. So I want to invite James McArdle to come up. Now, you might think I'm calling up James because he owns a flower shop and we're talking about cultivation <laughs> of the created order, but actually James is going to talk about cultivating more than just plants. So go ahead, James. Thanks, Nathan. So my name is James McArdle, and as Nathan mentioned, I own a small business in town uh, that employs uh, over 100 people uh, through the course of the year. I used to compartmentalize my life. I viewed work and ministry separately. At work, I was very focused on doing my job well and making sure the company did well. I viewed coworkers and customers as part of the job and viewed the job itself as just a way to support my family. On the other hand, my ministry life was what I did on Sunday or in small group, or if I was intentionally ministering to someone. In over 25 years of working and following Jesus, I have seen the lines blur between the different areas of my life. God has helped me view my life through a Christ filter. I now realize that my work is ministry, and that every decision I make, every person I interact with, is ministry. What would Jesus have me do? How does he want me to treat my team? customers, and vendors? How does he want me to work towards the bottom line? I have been blessed to have the opportunity to influence my team and customers every day, but I think that seeing your work as ministry can happen whether you're in an entry-level position or whether you own a company. 
One thing that has changed as the lines of my life have blurred is the way I pray about my work. Instead of simply asking God to bless me in my job, I'm now prompted to, pay, to pray for my team, for their salvation, for the stuff going on in their lives. I also ask God to consecrate the spaces where I work so that he can be glorified. Now, I wish I could stand before you and tell you that I've got all this down, but that would be a big lie. <laughs> I have to be very deliberate about viewing my work as ministry. Otherwise, I fall back into looking at my team as just part of the job and my customers as merely transactions. One key to making my job more ministry-focused is praying for the Holy Spirit to fill me and give me the mind and heart of Christ so I'm available to God and where he's at work and so I see things as he sees them. The second key is to remind myself of who I am in Christ and the grace that I've received. With my focus on God, the lines between my work and my ministry continue to blur. Have dominion, God says. God involves us in his work to have the kind of authority that would cultivate, that would bring to life, that would be fruitful, not just in plants, but in the lives of the people over whom we have authority. It can happen in a small business, clearly. It can happen in you. It can happen Monday through Saturday as you work. All of life is worship unto God if we are living in the design that he created us in. So we've said that God involves us in his work, but also that God has given us true rest. God has given us true rest, true Sabbath. Let's read chapter 2, verse 2, as we think about that. Here's what it says. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, that he had done. Now that might just seem like a throwaway line, but what God is doing there is he's establishing a pattern of work and rest, a pattern that he would give again in the Ten Commandments when he says, observe the Sabbath. In all, he says that you finish all your work the day before the Sabbath and then rest, set it apart, make it holy, for even God rested on the seventh day, it says in the Ten Commandments. But then, God shows us through Jesus how he would embody this truth of work and rest. Let's think about this. In Holy Week, when Jesus entered Jerusalem to do his final work, he worked a lot that week. He ministered to various people. He had the Last Supper with his disciples. Then he was captured, finally, by the Roman authorities. He was flogged. He was beaten. He was mocked. He was placed on the cross. But what was he doing there? He was working for our salvation. All the agony, all the sweat, all the blood. He was doing the work necessary for our salvation. What is the last thing that he said before he died? It is finished. He was finishing his work week. And on the Jewish calendar, Friday afternoon is when the work week concludes and Friday evening is when Sabbath begins. And it lasts all day Saturday. Jesus finished his work on the cross and they took his body down and laid it in a tomb. 
where his body lay in repose for the whole Sabbath. He rested even in death. We know that's true of his body, even while his spirit went down to Hades, taking the full brunt of the wrath of God. But then on Sunday morning, when the new work week was beginning, Jesus was beginning a new work. After finishing the work on Friday afternoon and observing the Sabbath on Saturday, Sunday morning came and he started a new resurrection work in all of the world. God has done for us this thing that he commanded us to do, to work for six days and then to rest, to live in the design that God made us in as an architect. Jesus finished the work, rested, and then began a new work that we might have new work. Matt, can you show that Colossians verse again where it says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Then it says this interesting phrase while it comes up. Look what it says next. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. This is helpful for us as we think about our work week. Jesus has done the work necessary for our salvation. That kind of work we receive the reward of as an inheritance. An inheritance is something we don't work to earn. It's something that's freely given to us. So as we leave this place today, as we go out into our work week, whether that's in the city or here in Greenwich or right at home, if you're a homemaker or if you're looking for a job, this is your work. We know that we have the freedom to work heartily as for the Lord and not for man because God, the architect of our work week, has designed us to work in this way and then has done the work necessary so that we would work in freedom, not with anxious toil, trying to earn God's favor. It's already been earned for us on the cross. So we can work freely knowing that we operate, that we work in the design that God made, that God worked. God rested. God involves us in his work. And God has earned for us true Sabbath rest. Amen.